Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to It's All Political, the Chronicle's political podcast. This is Joe Garofoli. I'm the Chronicle's senior political writer, and we have a twofer today. First, we will be talking with John Diaz, the Chronicle's editorial page editor. We'll be breaking down the debate the Chronicle sponsored on Tuesday night here in San Francisco between the Republicans. And we're going to take stock of the governor's race. Then we will actually speak in part two with an actual candidate for governor, Republican Doug Osi, former congressman. He, he, there's an It's All Political first here. The first S-bomb dropped in this, on It's All Political. I dropped one, maybe two, and, and the congressman dropped a couple himself. Quality entertainment here. He also breaks down what he talks about uh, mental illness and the homelessness, stuff that you don't hear Republicans talking about all the time. But you will on It's All Political. Welcome to It's All Political. This is Joe Garofoli, your host. I'm Chronicle's senior political writer here with my buddy, the Chronicle's editorial page editor, John Diaz. Not only that, but he has twice been the moderator of debates featuring our candidates for governor here in California. And, and one was last night. We have, uh, this is sort of debate hangover morning because we were just, <laughs> it's the morning after where you were the moderator at the city club uh, of a debate featuring uh, the three top Republicans running for governor. Um, sound, uh, Rancho Santa Fe businessman, John Cox. We have uh, Assemblyman Travis Allen from Orange County. And then we have the relative newcomer, three-time, three-term congressman, former congressman, Doug Osi from Sacramento. John, what did we learn last night that we didn't already know? Joe, there's an expression you often hear at the beginning of a football game where the announcers will go, these two teams don't really like each other. (laughs) I think one upshot of last night's debate is these three candidates really do not like one another. It got personal on a number of of fronts. It did get personal, and there was like... um, the the two gentlemen uh, Cox and um, and uh, Osi who are both sixty two, ripping on the younger man Travis Allen who I believe is forty four sort of like you young whippersnapper that was kind of a weird reverse ageism thing did you did you pick up on that <laughs> oh yeah it came out several times and and of course uh, Travis Allen tried to use it as well like I'm I'm new I'm fresh and you know of course he jumps up at one point standing up with the body language of a I'm young and vibrant so uh that's definitely uh an undercurrent there let's put it that way what where else so but on policy these guys really don't differ much at all i was a little bit surprised at that joe cuz i thought uh Doug Osi would make more of an effort to appeal to the center he talked about it a little bit uh his ability to work with democrats but if you look at the substance of the issues that he uh, was bringing up. I didn't really hear anything there 
that would appeal to the center or the left. Yeah, which is funny because uh, we in, in the second part of our, our podcast today is, is uh, when I sit down solo with Osi, and he talks about stuff like mental illness. He talks about how it's personally affected his family. He talks about, we got to do something about the homelessness. We have to do something about poverty. We didn't hear Bupkis about that uh, last night, did we? And we did not. And in fact, on a number of issues where you would think a centrist Republican would would try to go in California, like climate change, for instance. His his skepticism on climate change, which was his word, uh, was not all that different from what we were hearing from Travis Allen and John Cox. Interesting, Joe, I think if you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger as kind of the template for what it takes for a Republican to be competitive in California, first of all, a lot of name recognition, which yes. none of those three have. It helps have. to be a movie star first. Yeah, it, well, and, and that <laughs> certainly translates to... Name recognition plus the celebrity factor. But but even on policy, uh, Schwarzenegger was a fiscal conservative, but he found areas where he could reach across party lines. I'm And I'm thinking specifically of what he did on climate, a lot of groundbreaking work during his administration, as well as on health care. Before we had Obamacare, we had the, at least the effort, uh, albeit unsuccessful by Arnold Schwarzenegger, to have an Obamacare-type system in California. Uh, I think that kind of break the mold is really uh, the playbook for, uh, at least at this point in time, a Republican in California. We didn't really see that from either of the three. Well, it's, it's not only that. It was a downright hostility towards climate change. The, I mean, you, your question was, do you believe in the science? And they're like, well, nah, not all three of them. Nah, not really. I think, it's, you know, the kind of the jury's out. Well, the jury isn't out, you know, and not only is the scientific jury not out, but the voters are are firmly behind the fact that there is human contribution to climate change. So that was bizarre. Business. Yeah, it, it, not only on the on the science and, and the need. I mean, Travis Allen was very dismissive of California even getting involved in, in the climate uh, to the degree that this state has. He talked about no matter what California does, it's only going to have a really minuscule effect on the global climate. Well, that's true, uh, but at the same time, uh, it's really created an economic opportunity for California. You know, a lot of uh, industries have, uh, in particularly in alternative fuels and, and you know uh, electric vehicles and others, have really uh, spurred a lot of the the growth that we've seen in the Bay Area, particularly uh, Silicon Valley. And there was no re- real recognition of that on, on the stage last night. And there was sort of a these guys are, are fighting for a very finite piece of the pie. Uh, the analysts I've talked to said roughly 41% of the ballots cast in the, in the June 5th primary will be for a Republican candidate. Now, if you have uh, Newsom and Villaraigosa uh, uh, getting you know, 40 to 45% plus the other uh, Democrats in the race, uh, these this are the current polling, um, you, know, you don't have a lot. The, one of these guys has to emerge. You know, if they have a chance, going to have a chance to to go into the top two. So, I mean, at this, who do you see with the potential to surface? Joe, it would almost require one of the candidates to drop out, which I, at least from what we saw last night, I can't see any of those three giving way to any of the other three uh, to for the good of the party. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, I think it's it's really going to be a difficult situation uh, for the Republicans, as, as you point out, to make the November election. 
And that is really critical for the Republican Party. Uh, really not so much in terms of the governor's race. Let's face it, the, the chances of a Republican being elected governor of California in 2018 are so remote. Yeah, it's um, going to have to be the other guys are in a plane crash. And, 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 <laughs> or, and the Democrats are in a plane crash. Or some yeah, scandal yeah. that right. involves handcuffs. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but I, I have to say... Um, I think that's a good new definition of scandal, by the way. <laughs> scandal that involves handcuffs. Go ahead. Um, but other than that, uh, it's it's very important for the party because if there is not a Republican on the ticket for governor, the um, the rank and file's enthusiasm for the election goes down, and that could have a really profound effect on congressional races. Let's keep in mind the the Democrats are certainly trying to turn some of these seats in California. You you've know probably in a lot more detail than me, but also legislative races. I mean, the Democrats right now already have a robust majority in both the Assembly and Senate. And if if you don't have a Republican on the ticket for governor, and it seems very unlikely at this point that they will also have one on for on the Senate. ticket for Senate. No way. Um, it's going to be it's going to be tough on a party that is already below thirty percent in registration and falling. And their hope is uh, largely pinned to the gas tax, getting that on the ballot, getting that uh, and ginning up enthusiasm to uh, to overturn the gas tax, I should say. And and all three of these guys are firm four square behind that, as they mentioned last night. The other sort of controversial point, but um, is that all three of them are are they, were, they spent a decent amount of time scrapping over who was uh, Trump's best buddy. Uh, the president's best buddy. Now, the president is uh, roughly two-thirds of California voters disapprove of the way the president's conducted business so far. And uh, so, but these guys are like, well, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm with him. Now, Osi was with him earliest, February 2016. He was a state chairman. Whenever, you know, I've been on several shows with him, they said, oh, God, who, who can we find that's for Trump? Oh, I think Osi is. You know, he would be that guy. <laughs> and then uh, Travis Allen came out and he was with them. And then uh, and then um, uh, Cox actually voted for libertarian stoner uh, Gary Johnson, and um, which they brought up uh, last night, too. But is this going to be does this help them or does this to get to that 41 percent? Or is this going to hurt them or, or what? Being so pro Trumpy. Joe, you would almost think as you listen to those three last night that they were running in a closed Republican primary. I and not the top two system where people can vote regardless of party, uh, because I, you know, I'm certainly not a political strategist, but I would not think embracing Trump as a winning strategy in California. And whatever they said last night is going to come back to to haunt them. Yeah. In fact, it was almost amusing, Joe, yeah. to hear Travis Allen and Doug Osee arguing about. Well, I wrote an op-ed piece before you made this public statement, and here's where I did this. And then OC was taking on Tra- Travis Allen. You, you, for those well, who had the date of his op-ed piece, February twenty second, Sacramento Bee. And, and for for those who haven't seen, go take a look at the video. It's it, oh, it's really it it's amusing. Yep. And and in fact, uh, you know, at one point OC was telling um, Travis Allen or. Are calling him out saying we uh, we six times tried to get you to volunteer this or that and you never did and Alan saying it's not true um, I just don't know that the Trump train is the path to uh, yeah. election of California yeah. governor yeah all right let's let's go in the let's take a trip in the uh, 
speaking of Trump train, let's take in the, the way back machine here uh, to October when the Chronicle hosted a similar forum for the four top Democrats in the race. You also moderated that. Um, and uh, what, what did we learn about the, the candidates there? Did we, there, was some, there were some more differences in, in policy we saw among the Democrats than we saw among the Republicans. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, although they're not huge differences, um, I, what I saw in that debate was Antonio Villaraigosa trying to tact the center to uh, position himself for the general election. Probably is not going to help him greatly in a Democratic primary, particularly how fired up the base is, but it's not a Democratic primary. It's, uh, so he's hoping to get Republican votes. A couple of areas in, in particular where I saw Villaraigosa distancing himself, education reform, uh, he was willing to take on the teachers' union in, in the ways that none of the other three candidates were. Um, that was certainly uh, uh, a, a distinct difference. Single-payer health care. Uh, Gavin Newsom has embraced that uh, wholly, uh, getting the endorsement of the Nurses Association. Um, and the teachers' Vier, union. And, and Virgosa was much more reticent, saying we, we, we really need to have this uh, thought through in a better way before we go for it. Uh, John Chung, as well, um, uh, was hesitant on single-payer. That seems to be a big issue among Democrats. But I think what we saw in that um, October debate was that Villaraigosa is playing the long game. He's thinking general election because unless things change dramatically, we're looking at the prospect of a Villaraigosa versus Newsom general election. And, and I think um, Villaraigosa's, his sense is that in order to win, he has to get Republican votes as well. And the polls are tightening. Uh, we will see, be seeing polls later this week that shows the race tightening a lot uh, between Villaraigosa and Newsom. Um, my, my big question in the race so far and, and what I hear from strategists and people up and, and Democrats up and down the street is, what happened to John Chung? Like, on paper, the dude would seem like a, a, a quality candidate. He's, um, he's just as progressive as the, you know, the rest of the field, for the most part. He has pushed back on his own party at times. He's pushed back on the Republican governor, you know, in his in his role as a controller and state treasurer. Um, and he is. Um, but what's what's going on? Why is he broken through? He's like he's close to Easton territory, Delane Easton territory. He's kind of in the, in the pack with the Republicans and uh, a little head of Easton. What's going on with Chung? I find that surprising as well, Joe, particularly given that he's been in state office, white office for a while. Um, he certainly has a good story to tell in terms of um, in the times when the Schwarzenegger and the Democratic legislature were putting together these phony budgets that clearly were not balanced, and he called them out on it. Um, got a lot of praise, a lot of attention, you know, kind of the uh, last honest man in Sacramento, uh, you know, storyline for him. Uh, everything that I've read from you know, you and, and other writers who have been out on the campaign trail is that he has a really nice self-effacing sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, none of that came through in the debate. Yeah. Uh, frankly, he, debate. frankly, he was, he was bland. He was not particularly inspirational. Uh, and that's, the, we've, we've seen another side of, of John Chung, both when we've had him in for editorial yeah. board meetings, that I think would play very well. He's not, he's not, you know, he, he's very, Straight ahead, he's not as slick as Villaraigosa or Newsom. I think that you know that's a that's a good position to be in in 2018 uh, yeah. when people are kind of shaking their heads at the uh, huckster we have in the White House and 
and the slicksters uh, who are in in modern American politics. Uh, but he has not used that to his advantage the way he could. And can you be have that type of personality as mayor of or, or governor? Excuse me, governor of California. We have had our certainly had our our boring bland mayors, uh, <laughs> Duke Majin, Gray Davis, um, Pete you, Wilson. <laughs> Pete Wilson, yeah, Pete Wilson, not a not a barn burner. Um, can you be like that as the mayor, as the governor of California? Can you have uh, that personality? Or do you need to be sort of an outsized personality to to uh, govern an outsized state? Well, we've certainly had both. Yeah. As you mentioned, we had Duke Magian and Wilson and Gray Davis, uh, but we've also had Jerry Brown, the young Jerry Brown, who was very entertaining in his own right, the, the older Jerry Brown, who uh, has certainly a big personality, yes. Schwarzenegger, of course, mm-hmm. um, so I think either one can play, uh, but that personality has to be, uh, people have to, I'll bet if we walked out on the street right now, maybe one in 10 people would even know who John Chung is. I, I think alone, you're being optimistic. Let yes. alone having a sense of uh, what he what he's about <laughs> versus Villaraigosa and Newsom who have their admirers, but they have their detractors as well. We uh, also, and we're writing about this later this week, um, the uh, the Me Too moment has sort of uh, come into the governor's race now. We have uh, this week, we have Travis Allen being one of the um, folks named in the legislature list, the only Republican, which you asked about last night at the debate. Uh, we have uh, Newsom uh, sort of for the first time publicly addressing uh, the uh, affair he had while in office, consensual affair with an underling, Ruby Rippy Torque. Um, and then we have uh, Viragoso, who's also had um, a consensual affair with, with not an underling, with a, a television reporter that, that broke up his marriage uh, when he was mayor of Los Angeles. Again, a high-profile high thing. Um, how do these, do these things affect us? Uh, how, do the, how should the voters interpret these things? I would say this, Joe. Two years ago, I would say America's past that in American politics. You know, you look at the Bill Clinton scandal— and how he was able to survive it versus before that Gary Hart, the mm-hmm. senator from Colorado who ran for president. That basically knocked out um, his presidential campaign in 1988. Two years ago, it seemed like Americans were kind of shrugging their shoulders at these kind of scandals. A much different story this year with the Harvey Weinstein um, uh, scandal and the way that really um, energized uh, the women's movement. Um, and I think part of that was because of residual anger over Donald Trump and, mm-hmm. and the, the uh, allegations that he had had against him. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Um, certainly, as you mentioned, both Newsom and Villaraigosa have some histories there. Uh, so I think if it's those two in a general election, it's probably not likely to, you know, it's almost like a zero-zero tie. Um, however, if John Chung gets in, he sort of threw out some signals last week about Travis Allen that also may apply to Gavin Newsom. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. At the time that um, the the Newsom scandal first broke, it seemed like he had the most brilliant response politically where he basically came forward and said, okay, everything you've heard is true. It was wrong. You know, I, you know, I apologize. And that everything is true seemed to like neutralize any follow-up questions that could come. Yeah. Um, it was, a, it was a, maybe a three minute press. It wasn't even a press conference. It was a statement. And, and then it was one of the most, 
I mean, it was a really compelling uh, at some level. Go ahead. But, go but ahead. it's going to be interesting to see, Joe, how it resonates this year because it's a much different climate for the public view of those kinds of allegations. And if you look at the scandal involving Gavin Newsom and compare it with others that have knocked people really out of their careers in either business or politics, uh, some of those have been not only older than um, what Gavin Newsom um, uh, scandal is involved with, but arguably less egregious behavior. Right. Than, and, and, and some than of the people the, I'm the talking to who've been at the head of the, the Me Too movement uh, about this, they said that the, what they're looking at is the reaction, uh, the way that the candidates are reacting to this. And they, he actually got some, some praise for the way he said, you know, I, I acknowledge this, I've apologized for this. And then he, you know, he talks about toxic masculinity and, and right. you know, all the work that his wife who's a documentarian has done. Um, whereas Travis Allen last night at the debate, he was very defensive about it. He said, this is, this, this is, I, I, I support the Me Too movement, but this is not what this is about. What, how did you read that last night? Uh, I thought his, his denial, his explanation was very unconvincing because basically, you know, he, the legislature, he tried to suggest it was a partisan thing. Well, the, it, the Democrats did control the legislature in, the, in that committee, but the fact of the matter is six legislators were named. Five of them were Democrats. He was the only Republican, which hardly suggests that it's a partisan witch hunt. Uh, the other thing I found interesting is, um, and, and potentially damning to Travis Allen, is, is you know he had complaints from two different women. He was very dismissive of, of those complaints last night. Said you should read the complaints; it's really no big deal. And he also said, "I've never, uh, I've never, you know, basically become too familiar with staff." And as I pointed out in my question, isn't that the whole point of the reckoning that we're going through? Is that men in power do not recognize the boundaries that women reasonably expect and right. demand? Right, and then and then. Um, I'm I'm curious to see is where this goes next and and how um, if he continues to follow that line because that's I don't think that's that's gonna not gonna lead him anywhere good. Yeah, I mean it's it's almost like um, you know it, the difference between a Travis Allen who is basically denying that anything happened or anything happened that was untoward and Gavin Newsom who is yeah. really fully acknowledging and that he was wrong. The same response. Yes. I talked to him about week yeah very acknowledge it okay so now we are going forward what are you looking for next in the next couple of weeks in the, in the governor's race where do you want to hear from these candidates what should we be looking for well i think one thing to look for is 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 whether some elders in the republican party really make a concerted effort to to narrow that field because i think if they do have one candidate that they have a reasonable shot of getting into the november election um, I don't know how far that will go, but I think that's really the key. Um, we're also going to see, uh, obviously, the tightening pull suggests that Villaraigosa is getting some traction on Newsom. Um, and although it looks like they're going to be in for the long haul through November, uh, I think it would be a huge psychological uh, boost for whichever candidate comes out first in, in the June primary, because that's certainly going to help in terms of fundraising, in terms of public perception. So I would not be surprised, Joe, if uh, Antonio Villaraigosa and Gavin Newsom kind of start training their sights on each other in the next few weeks. Yeah. All right. John, thanks for being on It's All Political again. Always my pleasure, Joe. 
Congressman, welcome to It's All Political. Thank you, John. Da- nice down here, yeah, down, down here in the Chronicle down basement. Down here in the bowels of the business. This you is were, great stuff. We just asked, uh, uh, Peter, uh, uh, just asked to pick out one file of anyone down here of a photo of your favorite politician, and who did you go to? Eisenhower. And they, I mean, you guys got this wealth of photos in the file. I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna knock both of you out when we're done and <laughs> taking the file. So. <laughs> well, there's a first. The, uh, um, and I got, I got, I also have to say, you showed up here with sans entourage, no entourage, just you. You just showed up, and it was it some politicians that we will not Whatever. name names. Who cares? No, no, this is this is great. You no entourage, and you, I say, where's your entourage? You said well, actually, they're working. I, you know, I'm. I'm 62. I feed myself. I clothe myself. <laughs> you know, I drive my own car. It's okay. I'll be fine. You, as when you were in Congress, there were some people who, some of the other fellow members yeah, who were the, not. The, where they have their minders. Their minders, yes. Yeah, Someone holding the go, phone. You shake your head. I mean, I, some people are ready for the job. Some aren't. Some can <laughs> handle it. Some need to hang. I mean, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> All right. For those who. Who don't know you as well? Uh, you're elected to Congress in 1998. You had two, two little girls at the time, correct? Correct. And Still, uh, now they're not so little. Yes. How old are they now? 25 and 23. Oh wow, you're a little bit ahead of me. At the time, you promised to serve three two-year terms in Washington, then come home. Correct. And then you ran again. You got got the itch in 2008 against a fellow Republican, Tom McClintock. What changed in that time that make you want to run again? You know, sitting in Congress, watching what happens. You have the ability to make a difference. And in, this, in the six years I was there, I touched on all sorts of regulatory stuff. We were able to get some tax relief through. I mean, we had 9-11. We had to deal with that. I saw the ability as a member of Congress to make things happen to the good, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go back and do that. Yeah. Did you regret making that pledge at all? Well, here's, here's the reality, Joe. I mean, you got kids. Yes. Well, how old are your kids? Uh, 19 and 17. Okay, so I went to Congress when my kids were six and four. Oof, and I remember tough. the first day I left, it was very difficult. They were both crying and I was crying. Yeah. And what my wife and I have tried to instill in our children is you don't have to make a commitment, but if you do, like you say, I want to play on this team or I want to do that, then you <coughs> have to follow through. Mm-hmm. So, we, I mean, I, I made the commitment, three terms and out. I don't know how to get my children to do what they say they're going to do if I won't do what I say I'm going to do. That's, just, that's, that's it. No. So you've been talking about stuff that you don't hear a lot of Republicans talking about in the, in the, in the few weeks you've been in the governor's race. Homelessness, mental illness, poverty. You tweeted the other day that there's, quote, the need to change the legal framework for addressing mental health issues. Law enforcement is in a no-win situation. I swear to God that if I'm elected governor, we're going to fix this, not run away from it. We are better than this. That's true. Now it's one thing to call it out. Okay, now it's one thing to call it out, but what would you do differently? Well, the legal framework, as I understand it, says that if someone's suffering from mental illness and they are an imminent threat to themselves or others— They can be taken into custody and held. But by and large, the standards are quite high. The thresholds are quite high Mm -hmm. for depriving someone of their liberty, as they should be. But when someone is mentally ill, uh, what we need to do is kind of like take a breath and figure out what's in the best interest of this person. Is it in the best interest of this person after 48 hours to put them back on the street 
where they can't function, they can't take care of themselves, they're, they're a potential threat. The, the no-win situation with law enforcement is ultimately these people come in contact with law enforcement. They're, these people, the law enforcement guys, they're not trained in dealing with mental illness. They want to do the right thing, but they're stuck. And we have to figure out within appropriate constitutional framework how to give these people care because they're not like you and me. There's something wrong. It's, it, it's, not, like, it's not like an appendicitis. Right. Or you know tuberculosis. There's something upstairs that just isn't working. Mm. It's a disease, and it needs to be treated as a disease. And so far, it just drives me nuts when I see people who have obvious mental illness on the street. They're accosting people. I mean, folks who don't have mental illness, they're sympathetic, but they don't. They're not trained to deal with these people. I, Joe, I swear to God. We're going to go at this, and we're going to we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to keep going at it, and we're going to help the people who have mental illness. We're going to help the families that are involved in it. We're going to help our law enforcement learn how to deal with it, and we're going to make our state better. Where where is this coming from? From you? What, what, is this a personal connection to this issue, or no, what? What is just, this? Why is this such a? This is I you're have. very passionate about this, much more than I. You know, don't want to disparage everybody in your party. Then you hear from Republicans on this issue. So the son of a first cousin of mine has an issue. But he's as much an OC as I am, yeah. and I am not going to walk away from him. And you've seen he's living on the streets right now. Or? No, he lives in Tennessee. Okay, he's he's well taken care of. Okay, but whenever I go to Tennessee to visit my family, I always visit him. Yeah, and there have been situations where it's been great, and there have been yeah. situations where it I've got knocked upside of the head. Right. But he's still as much. This is my mother's side of the family, so he's as much an Adams as I am. Yeah, and I am not walking away from him. So it's a personal connection. This brings it to your family. This is what you know, well, you've seen this all up. sorts of families. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about immigration for a few minutes. Okay, uh, as you know, the the president's immigration plans, the the the, the deal that he has proffered on the table is a path to citizenship for the Dreamers, twenty five billion in a trust for the border wall, end to the family unification program, and end to the visa lottery. What part of this, if any, do you disagree with? So the president is negotiating. He is. You think this is his opening bid? No, I think his opening bid was back in October when he said, you guys fix this by April, whatever it is, or I will. Okay. That's what the opening bid was. I thought that was a brilliant move on his part because okay. Congress doesn't act until there's an emergency. Mm-hmm. So he's created an emergency. There's a timeline, and if you listen to all the rhetoric closely, the Democrats believe he will do something. Yeah. So they're in a box. Is their interest in solving the immigration issue legitimate, or is it just a bunch of lip service? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't care what item you pick out in that larger universe of immigration issues, but it has to be fixed by Congress. The president has a role. You know, we've been dealing with this. We've been dealing with a static immigration system since 1992 right. when President Bush, 41, last signed the update. I mean, think about how your life has changed since 1992. Mm. Now, project that into the million people who a year who come here legally plus those who come here illegally. I mean, we can't deal with a 21st century problem with a framework that doesn't reflect when, reality. When you say you're, you're sort of— Correct me if I'm wrong. You sound, you sound a little agnostic about any of these points. I'm Is not it, agnostic. Which, actually, which one would you – would you okay with all of them or, or Ten what? weeks ago, 
I was on an immigration panel at an organization called Capital Weekly. Yes, I I watched the video upon your urging. I put, well, thank you. Uh, Did you go pick up one of the papers? No, no, I was was watching it remotely. Doug shamelessly uh, goaded the audience to pick up his his, his framework for this, but you emailed it to me afterwards. Thank you. So I reduced to writing going into that uh, forum what I thought Congress ought to do, and there were 11 or 12 points, and right. I can, I'm can i happy to walk through them with you, but you don't get to – this is politics, okay? Mm-hmm. This is a very serious issue. You know, there's a difference between dealing with legal immigration and dealing with illegal immigration. I know my friends on the other side want to conflate the two, but there is a difference. <laughs> and if you go at that paper and look at it, which I'd be happy to email to you again. I have no, don't it. have it. I have, I have it, it on my we'll, phone. We'll post it. We'll it link to phone. it in the story. We'll link to it in the story. All right. But <laughs> what, you, what you see there is my thoughts on the different aspects of the problem that need to be addressed, mm-hmm. ranging from, you know, how to fund an adjudicatory process for the dreamers to what kind of folks we should allow into our country mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Okay. And I, I have no issue... I have no issue with the president saying what he wants. I have no issue with Mrs. Pelosi saying what she wants. Hmm. I mean, this is politics. We've got to figure out what each other wants so then we can figure out the best things to do. Mm-hmm. Let's talk uh, high-speed rail, which you mock as a choo-choo train. It is a well, it's not even a choo-choo train. It's just like it's like Egyptian architecture meant to last for centuries. Okay, so we're we're already building the tracks, though. What, what we're just do we throwing do? money away, Joe? Well, I tell you would what, would you I, end it? But what would I, you do about it? Would you just end came, it? Would I you just keep came going across a damn bay bridge. I'd kill the high-speed rail and build another crossing for the bay. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's what we need. Well, what about? Okay, that's that's another project. But what do we do with the train? We've already started building. Do There's we cut, nothing we you can do. It? It's 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 wasted money. Yeah, but do we do we end the project? Do we find yeah, private we kill funding? It. We kill it. Kill it. And what do we do with the tracks that we're already? It covered? is what it is. Okay, we sell it to Jerry Brown. I don't know. <laughs> okay, but there's a high speed rail. Have, look, look, high speed rail was sold to the people of this state as a means of moving people quickly from San Francisco to L.A. Right now, it doesn't even go from Madero to Madera to Fresno. We were told it was going to cost eight billion. Now it's up what sixty, 60 billion? Sixty four. So don't 60. don't just. Just shut up with your stupid arguments in favor of a boondoggle of this nature. All right. I think we've, we've drawn a line there. Um, let's talk welfare. Um, mm-hmm. The day you said, uh, you said with unemployment at, its, at historic lows. Yeah, this is employers so can't, fi- can't find well, – let's let everybody hear what it said. And employers can't find enough help. Why is government providing financial assistance to able-bodied slash of sound mind adults? Now is the time to significantly reduce welfare eligibility and encourage work. Flesh out what you mean there. All right. The state of California, the California taxpayer, uh, last time I checked, it was like $44 billion a year in general assistance payments. And that can be housing and cash payments and what have you and what for. Well, look, I employ people. I can't find people to do work. I mean, every one of the people that I – interact with, like the people that sell me equipment and the people that sell me this and that. and whatever. They can't find people to work. Mm. So if the argument is that when the economy is slack, that we have to grow general assistance support levels, then, the, then you can't make the argument to me that when the economy is particularly tight, it's time to grow general assistance levels. It just doesn't make sense to me. Right. So what better time to take people who have 
not enjoyed the privilege of a job and take them off the government dole and force them to get in the labor force because la- employers will hire them. They need the hands. It's so just, how would you, how would you give like, an idea about how do you adjust the, the eligibility requirements? Yeah, I'd, I'd go first through and I'd say, okay, are you able-bodied or not? Mm-hmm. Are you sound mind or not? I'm not going to hire some crazy person. But I'm going to hire – I'm going to – there right. are people who are receiving general assistance today who are of able mind, able-bodied and sound mind. Yeah. That's it. We're done with that. You're okay. going to have to go get a job. That's just the way it is. All right. Now, in this, given the same sort of scenario, why are we if – we're, if we're – employment says historic lows, employers can't enough help. Why are we cutting corporate the corporate tax rate? You know, why are we doing that? Because – you're asking, it, should, shouldn't, the economy's humming along, maybe not super humming along, but it's it's going pretty strong. Why are we cutting the corporate tax rates? So the rates? economy is just does. booming here in the Bay Area. Yes, I mean it's just like whoa. I have friend, young friends, actually children of friends, who work in the Bay Area, mm. and they're renting rooms in three bedroom mm. condos, and they're paying yes. fifteen hundred dollars a it's month. It's insane. Yes. So, I mean, in the Bay Area, the economy's booming. You know, Santa Monica. The economy's booming. Central Valley, not so much. Right. So you can't you can't look at economic activity just in the Bay Area. Now, my premise, or the premise that some have, is that we aren't paying enough in taxes. That seems to be like the democratic mantra. Mm-hmm. We aren't paying enough in taxes. Okay. My premise is how much do we need versus how much are we collecting? Now, one of the central pieces of the tax package that just went through the Congress is the means to repatriate vast amounts of dollars being held overseas. Now, that money is not sitting idle overseas. And this is the thing that my friends on the other side of the aisle never talk about. The money overseas that's controlled by American multinationals (laughs) is creating jobs overseas for non-Americans. These are American multinationals because the framework that the United States Congress has adopted over the last 50,000 years says, well, if you bring that home, we're going to tax it excessively. This tax package changed that and allows corporations to bring those funds back to create jobs. Now, Should they have just, made, put, some, just, put some parameters on it when they bring they the did. money back? They did. There's they a, didn't say a, you have to create jobs, though, with it. They will. Just Okay, so I – mean, Joe, come on. They're just saying bring it back. Bring so you it can back. Get a, so, so you bring it back, and what's it do? They give it to their shareholders. Okay, what's the shareholder do? We'll see. They, could, they spend they, it. They could, well, they, they could buy a car. They knows? buy a house. They buy a farm. They buy the Chronicle. I don't you know. Oh, please. They buy something. That's called economic activity. All right? Now, the other thing I want to t- point out on the tax package, and I'm just, actually two other things. First thing is I'm just stunned. I mean – Nancy Pelosi, just get the connection here. Nancy Pelosi and Paul Pelosi, who are great folks. I mean, they're welcome at my house. <laughs> they pay $137,000 a year in property taxes on the five houses they own. That is good knowledge. That is excellent knowledge. Okay? Yeah, all right. I think I read it in the Quran. <laughs> you may have. So, anyway, they're paying $137,000 a year in property taxes. So good for them. Yeah. No wonder she's opposed to limiting the SALT deduction. I mean, I get it. 
Why is she arguing on the in favor of not not the one percenters, right. but the one tenth of one percenters? Yeah. Now that that affects Californians differently. Definitely hits uh, Cal- coastal Californians. Yeah. But you know, Jeff Denham's district, no, nobody's complaining about no, the they salt. Get the, the, in the, the, salt in the yeah, in Denham's district, they get their standard deduction doubled. Yeah. You know, they still get to deduct their interest on their two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. They're not worried about one hundred thirty seven thousand dollars worth of property taxes. Right. Right. I mean, this is just a total. Bogus argument on the part of Mrs. Pelosi, and she's my friend. Okay, <laughs> all right. Let's talk me too. Speaking of Pelosi, this is Christine Pelosi. Mm-hmm. So last week, as as you know, the, the state uh, Senate and Assembly released these documents revealing twenty substantiated complaints of sexual harassment or inappropriate behavior against lawmakers or high level like legislative staffers over the last twelve years. That included cases against six current and former officials, including. One of your gubernatorial rivals, Assemblyman Travis Allen. Uh, Allen was found to have routinely, quote, gotten unnecessarily close to one female staffer in 2013, including sitting close to her while sliding his foot to touch hers. Playing footsie. Playing footsie. I guess that was what that was. Just call it what it is. (laughs) We're sticking with the documents on this. Uh, Allen said that there's, quote, there's the respondent. There's nothing. There's never been anything in any of my actions been appropriate, nor will there be. And, you know, Gavin Newsom last night, we had a story in today's uh, Chronicle I wrote that he admitted that, you know, when he talked about his consensual affair that underlying at City Hall, he said that, you know, he's apologized for that and he's learned from it. Should this should this stuff be a disqualifier for running for governor? And, and, and first of all, let's take that one first. Well, let's just take this in steps. OK. So in your, if you're in private business mm-hmm. and you're an employer and you have a man and a woman that work for you and they're married <clears> – <throat> And they're both taking income from your entity. They both understand that their household income is dependent on what you're doing. And you cross the line. What do you think, in this case, the woman is going to say when the boss comes down and says, oh, hey, want to go have a drink? I mean, I, th- I actually, I mean, I've been in public life for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Before that, I was in business for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm, cl- I mean, I go home at night. You want to know why I go home at night? It's very simple. I got a redheaded German wife who will hunt me down <laughs> and kill me if I don't toe the line. So there are standards in our household. I think there ought to be standards in office. And... So what would you do differently? What, how should this be structured? Okay, how I'll, tell you, I'll tell you exactly. I got, this, I got this figured out. I know this yeah. process. If I'm governor and somebody uh, in the legislature crosses the line, I'm going to give the rules committee in the Senate or the rules committee in the Assembly 30 days to resolve it. Mm-hmm. And if they get credible evidence that says the line was crossed, I'm ending that legislator's career. I am how, how putting the word out. Do not bring a bill to me with that person's name on it. And I'm going to tell the lobbying community, do not give to this person because if you do, I will know and you will not get in my sort office. Sort of scarlet letter treatment almost. I will brand them. Yeah. But and should, they will should, be done. Should, should, the invest, should, should the rules committee be doing this? Should, isn't it sort of you're your investigating your own? Should, should, would you like to see maybe a, an outside group, maybe retired judges Joe, or something? Joe, these people know whether or not they should do this stuff or not. Yeah. This is not – rocket science right. they are gratifying their sexual needs in one way or another right. abusing the power of their office that i mean just call it what it is 
And so what about going back to – is this a disqualifier Should, for Al? Well, the voters will decide that. I yeah. mean, I, let, I let can tell run. you it wouldn't stand in my house. Right, right. All right. Uh, that's uh, some politics here, and we've talked about this the other day in the column. Uh, are, are there too many Republicans running for governor? Uh, we're, we're actually, I should say we're talking on the eve of the Chronicles uh, debate. The first time all three have been uh, um, together, all three Republicans. Jim Brolty asked him this the other day, and he said, we have three excellent candidates running for governor. Uh, and if this is right after you jumped in. And if all three stay in, we run the risk of having an all-Democratic runoff. Do you believe that? Yeah, politics tough business. Mm-hmm. You know? Let the voters figure it out. They will. Yeah. I'm so not worried about that. You're not this doesn't concern you whether there's too many Republicans to So in nineteen ninety seven when I first decided to run for office, <laughs> somebody had the audacity to tell me I should start at a level over there. Yeah. That was the last time that person ever said that to me. Okay? <laughs> so I'm not gonna now say you need to get out, yeah. whatever. It's not my call. But this isn't tiddlywinks. This is serious business. And, you know, the voters have a right to hear your views. I'm going to make the case about how badly we've gone off track here under democratic hegemony, how we need to address homelessness and traffic and affordability of housing and K-12 failures and crime in our neighborhoods and on and on and on. I'm going to highlight what it is that Democratic policies have delivered, and I'm going to offer a change. Because California is broken, we're running out of time, and we need to get on with fixing it. And I can do that. You are also, um, one more, you are also a full-throated supporter of the president. You were with Trump before it was cool to be president <laughs> with Trump in California, at least in Republican circles. Uh, you said all, and back in February of 2016, you said, I'm all in, I'm with this guy. Now, one of your fellow uh, Republicans, John Cox, uh, he didn't even vote for Trump. He voted for Gary Johnson, the uh, stoner libertarian. He also voted for Jimmy Carter. And he voted for Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and uh, Allen was a Ted Cruz guy. And a donor for, to Gavin Newsom. And a, and a donor to Gavin Here, you Newsom. you want me to write your script? No, no, no. I'll be hearing these same things in a few hours at the debate. It's good to get warmed up. Um, now, but that, being a Trump guy is not always a good thing in California. 66% of all registered voters, including 64% of independents, dislike him. Why do you support President Trump? What is it about him that you like? What he can't, he promised to stir the pot. I mean, that's what that was essentially. He said, "We're not doing things the way we've done them for the last fifty years. I'm going to stir the pot." And knowing what I know about how badly DC is broken, it was clear to me that that's what we needed. And I'm I'm willing to take the arrows. Go ahead, shoot your arrows at me. Yeah. But at the end of the day. I'm going to tell you, don't get bogged down in process. Get bogged down in result or outcome. Right. This is an outcome-based business. And if you, want to, if you want to complain about how the sausage is made, okay, fine. You know, go ahead. So you don't like the, the chaos of the administration. That doesn't bother you. You like the fact that he got the tax bill done and got, the fact that he's cutting just, regulations. So he's cut regulation. He's reduced taxes. He's got... What, what is this phrase? He's got the idiot up in North Korea boxed in. Right. He's called the Iranians to account. He's got the Palestinians on notice that no longer are you going to just take us for granted. 
He's dealing with issues one by one by one, sending a very clear signal about what he thinks needs to be done. Now, you can agree with him or you can disagree with him. What what bothers me over the last years, particularly with President Obama, is, well, there's a red line in Syria. Oh, didn't mean it. Uh, We need to sign the Paris Accord. Well, heck no, I'm not going to take that to the Senate because it's so bad. I mean, it's just Trump, in my view, inelegantly and effectively advances an argument about changing the way things are for the better. Where do you disagree with him on? Where do I disagree with him on? He and I stylistically uh, use different words. <laughs> you don't use the word shithole when describing. Well, no. Well, actually, I did to the guy down at the San Jose Mercury News yesterday when Delane Easton called Don't out. be plugging other papers here. Well, Come well, on. I mean, she, call, she calls out Travis Allen for what he did, and I told the guy down there, I thought it was chicken shit he didn't call, that she didn't call out Newsom and Villaraigosa, too. Yeah. And for that matter, John Chung for writing eight years' worth of settlement checks. I mean, you're going to call out one. It's chicken shit not to call out the others. (laughs) There we go. All right. Well, hey, Congressman Nagosi, thank you so much for uh, for stopping by. This is great. Okay, so now I'm going to hit. By the way, first S bombs dropped on it's. It's all political. I'm I'm very impressed. I'm going to knock both of you out, and I'm taking that Eisenhower file. (laughs) And and threats of violence too. We love it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Joe. Let's see you. Thank you all for listening, and thank you to our guests, John Diaz, the editorial page editor of The Chronicle, and Doug Osi, a Republican candidate for governor. And I just wanted to let you know that today's episode was produced by Peter Hartlob and Brittany Schell. The executive producer is Fernando Diaz. The Chronicle's editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. It's all political's theme music. We have theme music. It's called Cattle Call by Randy Clark's Crow Song. The Chronicle's Josh Zucker, who is our podcast's musical director, is on base. If you like what you heard, listen to Chronicle Podcasts and get bonus content at sfchronicle.com backslash podcasts, plural, or subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or other streaming services. And no matter if you're running for governor or you're an editorial page editor, no matter where it is in your life, it's all political. <laughs>